Hello and welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Joe and I sit down with Colonel Adam Iwasik with the CFMO, or the Construction and Facilities Management Office. We talk about the life cycle management of buildings, the proposals for new builds and locations for new armories, as well as how construction projects come about to begin with. Enjoy! Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mil.wa.gov slash preparedness. All right, so today um, Joe and I are here on Teams again, uh, which has been such a great platform for us to continue this uh, podcasting during our work from home craziness. And today, we are joined by Colonel Adam Iwazik, and he is the CFMO. Uh, I guess he's Mr. in his CFMO capacity. And uh, sir, if you want to introduce yourself. Yes, good afternoon. Hi, I'm Adam Iwazik. I'm the uh, director for CFMO. Uh, we maintain all the facilities in the state for the Washington Army National Guard and, uh, and the Youth Academy and the military department, uh, EMD, uh, all of our state customers and whatnot uh, throughout the state. So. Uh, we work with the Air Guard as well, uh, but uh, we maintain our facilities and we work in conjunction with them for their facilities. Um, been the director since uh, it'll be seven years here in February, and I've been in the directorate of CFMO for uh, 15 years. Uh, started off when I was a captain. And yes, we are now Title V employees as of uh, March of 2018. We converted over from Title 32 to Title V. Very, very similar to us. Or, uh, it's, uh, I've been in the PAO shop 10 years and we converted to Title V as well. So it's uh, it's always nice. Um, so real it quick, is. It's good for the continuity. It is. It is. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, no. So to so start a question, I know what CFMO means. I think Sarah probably does too. But for the listeners out there, what do the acronym CFMO actually stand for? Yes. So it's the Construction and Facilities Management Office. It's also known as the Construction and Facility Management Officer. So there's the office of the director, and then there's the officer of the individual or the director. Great. And then what does the CFMO office do? So we have a, a quite a wide gambit of uh, functions. We have uh, eight branches. We have a construction construction engineering branch. 
We have a planning and programming branch. We have a resource management branch, both a state and a federal branch within resource management. We have an environmental branch. We have a facilities operation branch comprising of uh, installation status reports, energy management, rental lease, licenses, uh, property acquisition, property uh, divestiture. Uh, we also have our state maintenance uh, branch as well, which is critical piece of ours. It's probably the most commonly seen by our customer is our state maintenance employees maintaining, addressing all the work orders. So we're doing everything from current ops to future ops. We do 25 year strategic planning uh, for whether it's stationing and facilities and infrastructure 25 years out. Uh, and then we're dealing with real time, you know, roof leaks that just occurred the last, you know, the previous night because of a, a rainstorm that came through. Um, most of our planning is uh, two to 10 years out. Uh, the knee jerk reaction, you know, a couple weeks out uh, or live is our work orders and our state maintenance employees. We've got about 85 employees throughout the directorate uh, scattered throughout the state, everywhere from uh, headquartered in Yakima that takes care of all the eastern side of the state from Walla Walla to up to Wenatchee and Nefreda and down south is uh, Grandview and uh, Yakima Training Center and Yakima Rain Center. We have a north region maintenance that takes care of everything from Kent and north of I-5 corridor. Then we have a Camp Murray maintenance uh, headquarters that takes care of the Camp Murray area, plus a few other facilities like Puyallup or Buckley. We also have the south region that takes care of everything south of Camp Murray. So we've got a lot of those staff members, about 48 of our 85 are out in the field, state maintenance employees, and then the residual is all in the office, uh, all doing either current ops, future ops of planning, construction management, uh, engineering, uh, programming for future projects with National Guard Bureau or the state legislation. So random question, sir. How does one actually uh, get into the, uh, the business of being in the construction and facility maintenance? Um, what kind of path did you take to get there? So I had a financial background. Uh, I worked in, uh, I guess you could say, corporate America in the, in the banking industry. Prior to that, I actually worked for Boeing for about five years in construction, just happened to be an interesting niche. It was a construction branch within Boeing, uh, working with McDonnell Douglas um, and actually a NASA project, uh, a, a rocket factory um, in Alabama. I was in Everett for a number of years and then transferred to Alabama for a little bit with Boeing. So I got my construction and accounting background experience there and then worked in uh, Washington Mutual for a number of years as a senior uh, accountant, uh, just purely as accounting skills. Uh, and then after the deployment uh, with uh, overseas with the unit, I just felt like this was a, a good fit, active duty kind of environment with the guard. Uh, did not really know at the time as a captain about technicians and the technician workforce. Found out about a position that was opening within CFMO as a resource manager. Um, a couple of people reached out to me and told me about the job. Did not know about it. Um, interviewed and, and hired on at that time. Uh, at the time, Colonel Doherty at the time was the director of CFMO. So that was 2005, and I've just I worked that position for about five years within resource management. But there's multiple ways to get into into CFMO. Uh, now that it's Title V, it's a little bit much different than it is with Title 32, but we have 
facility operations manager. We have uh, planning programming branch chief. Uh, we have federal several federal positions as well as state positions that uh, one could get into the uh, into the directorate through. Whether they want to be a branch chief as a state or federal employee, or one of the line staff, uh, not being a manager or supervisor. So there's multiple different ways. My path was through money, I guess, resource management, and then eventually became uh, the business manager for a couple of years here at CFMO. Then eventually became the uh, deputy director uh, for some period of time, and then in uh, in 2014 became the director. So I guess my first question with this is how talking about projects, how do you come up with sort of your during your planning process? Obviously, the like um, the list of of what needs to get done right away. I mean, two to ten years out, like you're saying, and then sort of how you build that plan from there. Cause I know we're probably going to get into the projects that have recently been done, what you guys have going on right now, and then what's coming up in the future. But in order to get to that, how do you come up with this list of, of where you're starting and where you're going to? Yeah, sure. Great, great question. There's uh, several different answers to that question because there's several different programs or funding streams that support short-term, mid-term, or long-term planning or projects. So as you kind of categorize uh, what you're trying to accomplish and when you're trying to accomplish that, we'll put you in a different program. And based on that program, we'll determine the type of funding stream and how that competes at either the state local level and the national level uh, through National Guard Bureau and through Congress. So typically what we do is we look at all of our work orders and accumulated work orders. Uh, we get somewhere between uh, 500 uh, work orders in a month to uh, 2,500 in a quarter. It kind of varies. So based on those work orders, we can't address all of them, even though our goal is to accomplish 75% uh, of them within 30 days or less. Uh, I've never seen that happen. Um, I think the highest we've ever gotten is like 66% in 30 days or less. So we have a lot of work orders that accumulate. And what we do is we'll bundle those up into a project. So if we have a a bunch of work orders at one particular site, one facility. We'll bundle those all up into a, a scope of work for one contractor to uh, complete all those tasks, if you will, plus additional scope that we we identify by working with the unit and saying, hey, we're going to come to your facility uh, and address these work orders. What else would you like to see addressed? Here's some of our ideas. We'd like to get your input uh, unit or customer, and then we'll see what we can do to, to include yours. Uh, input based on funding and authorizations and requirements. And uh, so we try to we try to capture all the customers needs as well as address all the needs that we're aware of. Uh, it's also things like, for instance, the roof customer may think the roof is good to go. There's no issues, but it's on a life cycle replacement. A particular roof may have a 20 year or 30 year, depending on the type of material uh, life expand, uh, expectancy or life cycle. So we'll at times program a project uh, without a work order, just knowing that it's the life cycle replacement plan for that particular component of the building. That's more of the long-term strategic. If we know a building has got a roof that needs to be replaced in about five years, we're not going to pitch that to uh, the state legislation now or through NGB now. We're going to wait till about that two years out time frame uh, to get it through the state legislation process for a two-year biennium and then get it through NGB for the next year's appropriation if it's uh, traditional SRM money. If it's more complicated MILCON money, it, it's seven or nine years out. 
So when we want to build a new readiness center or a new facility to replace current infrastructure, uh, we have to plan that out uh, seven to nine years out. For example, this summer, we'll be pitching our number one priority projects to National Guard Bureau for, for fiscal year 2028, so seven years out. Uh, if it gets funded, construction could break ground in 2029, and then by the time it's done, it's two years later, it's 2031. So it's it's a seven to nine plus it's time for weather and inclement conditions. You're, you're talking almost 10 years out. That's that's on the grandier scale of 20 to 30 million, sometimes $40 million facilities. But our projects that are $750,000 or less, that planning factor is typically one to two years out. And we take a look at the, the status of the facility. We have a department that does uh, infrastructure status reporting and they go through and assess the facility. Everything from the parking lot to the roof, uh, the lighting, the, the infrastructure, the quality, the functionality of the facility. We take all this data and it goes into these algorithms and databases of record that National Guard Bureau maintains. And to base, based on the, the categorization of the, the project or the correction of the facility, we'll determine how well that project will compete at the national level. So if we have, say, 10 different projects that we're trying to get after, we, we take a look at the, the data for all 10 of them and we determine which one has the greatest likelihood of being funded. And we try to put that project up front as a higher priority. And of course, it's, it's coordinated. It's coordinated with, uh, you know, the units. It's coordinated with uh, our boss, the CG, General Dent. It's coordinated with the, the Army Chief, the MSCs and whatnot. We try to give full transparency to what's going on so that there's, uh, you know, everyone know, is aware of what's going on. But it's uh, unit level, unit driven, uh, a lot of database of records that that determine what compete, competes well at the national level. And we typically put those projects up front, which is why we're having such great success the last you know, 10 years of getting projects after project when a lot of other states um, don't necessarily strategize in that way. So in looking at like a project, say the um, Thurston County Readiness Center that, that hasn't opened yet, but it is scheduled to open uh, sometime later this year, uh, kind of dating back to when was the first real thought of like, this is where we want to go, getting the land, um, having the design, like how, what does that kind of timetable look like just to kind of give some perspective. So when guardsmen walk in there, when the building opens up, this is how much work goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. So we've been talking about that project for well over 10 years. Uh, in 2012, NGB kind of changed the model of how projects compete. And at that time you, you had to have land in order to compete well for a project. Prior to 2012, it wasn't such a that requirement wasn't weighted as heavy. Other categories are like price um, or functionality or need of the facility may have had a higher uh, contributing factor to weight getting funded. But uh, land was a key requirement, so we knew this was coming. Uh, we knew this new requirement was was going to happen, so we we were getting after land. Um, I think we purchased the land for that in 2014. Because at that time, that project was already programmed for funding in 2017. So that project was originally a 2017 project. So we, we, we would have pitched that project to National Guard Bureau in 2009 or 2010 uh, for 2017 programming. It then got pushed to 2018 by Congress. So got pushed one year to the right. And then uh, it's a design bid build project, so it went out for bid with many other 
companies to compete on and it goes to lowest bidder, uh, they start construction and it's typically two years of construction. So we, we started that process many years ago. Another example is uh, the Richland Readiness Center, which we will break ground on uh, here next month uh, in February of 21. We actually procured the land on that project uh, prior to 2012, I believe, because that was the year that that project got pitched as a top priority, number one priority for the uh, Washington Army National Guard. And it got approved uh, based on us having the land available. So we have to get this land upwards to 12 years prior to trying to compete at the national level, or 12, I should say 12 years prior to the, you seeing the facility being completed and ready to move in. So that's just, that's one project. Um, can you kind of highlight, I'd say probably the last, I, being that I've been in the guard, you know, almost 20 years, and I've seen a lot of this growth in our time and um, kind of the last 10 years, can you kind of highlight, I mean, that you were just talking one project that hasn't even completed, but in the last 10 years, we've had multiple readiness centers, multiple armories, um, just kind of highlight those projects and how much work goes into those things. Yeah, we've had a lot of success lately, um, and we're, we want to keep that momentum going. We're thrilled to have Every time we get one of these projects, it's a it's a it's a banner day because uh, the model, the National Guard Bureau model, is one project every five to seven years uh, for all 54 states and territories. So most states are not getting a project uh, as frequently as we are. You know, most of them are getting a project once every four to six years, though the model is at one every five to seven. Uh, we're we're averaging uh, more than a project every three years. In fact, we've had. I'd have to go through the actual numbers, but I think we've averaged six projects in the last nine years. So it's remarkable. Um, now, some of those are not all Milcon projects. So for instance, the Centralia Armory that we're doing a significant overhaul, $8 million project uh, is not falling to that category, but NGB does look at these other programs. And if you're having, getting a lot of these other kind of projects, these significant overhaul, what they call SRM or Sustainment Restoration Modernization Complex or Complex SRM, you're not going to probably uh, get another Milcom project right away because you're going to have to kind of wait your turn, so to speak. So, but we've been able to demonstrate the operational need. We've been able to provide the appropriate uh, strategic reasoning for why we need particular projects. We heavily leverage our 25-year strategic study that we've done. Oh, we did one in 2004. And we did a revisit of that in 2012, and we're wanting to do a revisit of that this fiscal year or next fiscal year uh, to recalibrate or revalidate uh, that 25 year strategic plan. And we leverage that in our narratives to our for our projects, and that's how we were able to get projects like the 66 Aviation Readiness Center, the IO Readiness Center, the CSMS, the Pierce County Readiness Center, the Thurston County Readiness Center. And now the future Richland running the center and our number one priority we're submitting this summer, which was our number one priority last year, is a Tumwater field maintenance shop, field Tumwater FMS, which will replace the Montesano FMS and then give us a regional anchor hub at Tumwater. Uh, part of our strategic 25 year strategic plan is to have regional anchors sites throughout the state. North Bend is another one in the future that we're working on to have a regional anchor site to replace Seattle. But uh, the Tumwater will be a, a battalion level headquarters, you know, 80,000 square feet facility with a co-located field maintenance shop will be the ideal, what, what right looks like, if you will, for a regional anchor. And our strategy is to get a regional anchor there, 
a regional anchor in North Bend, a regional anchor in the central part of the state, and then on the eastern part of the state, and ideally somewhere on the I-5, North I-5 corridor. So it's complicated to get 25 acres of land because that's kind of what you need to build a readiness center and a field maintenance shop. And we have that with Tumwater. We're going to get that with North Bend at the deal, land deal breaks through on that. Uh, but yeah, we've had a lot of success with Milcom projects and we're starting to get success with Mil, uh, UMMC, which is unspecified minor military construction, which is basically a subset program of Milcon. And we just found out last month, uh, great news for the organization and, and for the for the Army National Guard is uh, Snohomish Armory is got selected for funding in FY 2022. Awesome. So you mentioned North Bend and then the hope of replacing the Seattle Armory. Can we talk about the Seattle Armory for a little bit and and what all is going on there and then maybe how that might be transitioning into the North Bend uh, build? I know that that is like a big topic that at least since I've been here for the last two and a half years, we've been talking about the Seattle Armory. Yeah, certainly. So uh, roll the clock back a little bit. 1993, when I was a lieutenant, we were talking about North Bend and divesting of Seattle. So it's been talked about for quite some time. Um, and, and I would tell you that we're, we've never been closer to getting this deal done than we are now. We're, we have made remarkable strides in the last uh, four years of trying to make this this happen. Uh, we've had the governor and his office are fully aware of this project and the intent. Uh, we have uh, both chambers of the House and the Senate are aware of this. Uh, it's it's it being actually discussed during the current legislation as far as uh, pre-design. And uh, we were we were provided money that we submitted requests for a few years ago for uh, uh, funds to procure land. So we were appropriated with money to purchase land in North Bend, we identified, we looked at 70 plus properties uh, with a critical criteria uh, to meet all of our needs. And we found one site that meets all of our criteria. Uh, one challenge is it doesn't currently have water, but that's being addressed by the, the city as I meet with the mayor often um, and some senators that are working the deal as well uh, as provide information for them and, and ask, answer their questions to help us uh, get to yes. Uh, the plan there is to vacate Seattle Armory and to uh, relocate to North Bend. Uh, we've got a 25 acre parcel. It's actually a 36 acre parcel. Uh, we're partnering with a firm out of Ohio, a real estate developer for where we would buy, purchase 25 of the 36 acres and they would develop the, the other 11 um, uh, for some reasons I can't describe what their scope is, but they have plans for those 11 acres. Um, they have a recent developer uh, investor that had backed out may now provide us the opportunity to get after 30 acres instead of 25. So I'm working with the mayor um, and uh, Senator Mullet on that as well as uh, some other uh, legislators. So the whole deal though is based upon turnkey and that we can't vacate Seattle until the new site North Bend is ready for us to move in. So there was a uh, a committee created uh, by the governor and the legislation a few years ago for the Seattle Interbay Committee. Um, it was headed by the uh, former governor, Governor Locke. Um, we had uh, Representative Tarleton on there and uh, Senator Frock uh, and a few other folks. And I was also on that board as a representative for the Washington Military Department. And over 18 month charter, uh, we went through all the details of what the guard needs and why the guard needs to vacate and 
Why is Seattle not functional for us? Why is it not an ideal location? And there's numerous reasons for why we needed to, to divest of that location and uh, you know, showed the future site of 25 acres that we uh, on inner bay or correction in North Bend uh, on exit uh, 34 right next to a truck stop is a great location. Why that's an ideal location um, and the committee was also focused on with the future development of the existing 25 acres in Seattle, uh, the, the interbay property and what it could turn into. And we looked at six different courses of action uh, with the community uh, participating in these meetings, at least listening in to the discussion and the question and answer and discussion we went through. In an 18-month charter, we come up with uh, probably about a three-inch binder worth of uh, documents, uh, also help assistance by a firm that was hired by uh, um, by the state uh, to help with the packaging this all together, but a lot of folks involved with this to develop different courses of action for the downtown Seattle Interbay, and that's what most of the <laughs> most of the community was focused on. They weren't really focused on us and going to North Bend, and more focused on what are we going to do with this 25 acres in downtown Metropolis, Seattle. Um, but I kept reminding everyone, and they understand that. You can't have all these skyscraper ideas or low income housing ideas or a university or all these things until you get us make, make us whole somewhere else and that somewhere else is North Bend. So um, we're probably six, my opinion, six to 10 years out. Uh, if you talk to former Governor Locke, he, he thinks we could be in, in as little as three years out. It's very aggressive. It's very tough. You're looking at two to three years worth of construction because we're going to build depending on how many soldiers we move in there, five to 660 soldiers, we could have uh, a facility is 125,000 square feet, which is basically the size of uh, IO Readiness Center, or up to 160,000 square feet, which is double the size of the current Seattle Armory. And then also having a field maintenance shop at 25,000 square feet, which is three times the size of the current field maintenance shop that's only 8,500 square feet. And then you have the need for striker canopies, uh, OCI storage buildings, uh, military vehicle storage buildings, helicopter pad, and some other infrastructure. You're looking at around 100 to 110 million dollars worth of construction. So it's very complicated. It's going to take a lot of capital from the state. It's going to have to be front loaded by the state to accelerate it. Otherwise, going through a federal process like we normally do with our other construction, like we've done with Tumwater or we're doing with Richland and all these other projects we spoke about earlier. Uh, that project probably won't compete on the national level until 2035. Yeah, that's complicated. I know that everyone will be excited when that is figured out for sure. I know Joe and I will be happy to stop getting phone calls about why Humvees are driving through downtown Seattle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a significant issue. You know, so we uh, congest the traffic that's already congested in downtown Seattle. I remember being a battalion commander uh, with all of our FSCs and line units, you know, moving in and out of that that area, going to annual training or just drill weekend to JVLM or Yakima Training Center, or or providing service to our uh, the other units within 81st Brigade, create a lot of traffic, and we can't get in and out of there very well. Whereas if we're in North Bend, right on I, we're right there off of I-90, we're not far from 18, we're just 34 miles away from I-5. Uh, I've actually, you know, testified that we can respond more efficiently from North Bend to a King County incident or even further up I-5 corridor than we would if trying to muster and deploy out of Seattle downtown. 
Yeah, and, for, and I, for uh, sure. I, I believe that is that is a true statement, sir. And the the nice location, I think we've talked about this of where North Bend is before you go over Snoqualmie Pass, especially when heading to Yakima. It's a nice kind of stop before you hit the mountains. It's actually not that far from where one of the designated trucks or not truck stops, uh, convoy stops are at for rest plans. So um, even if you look at it strategically, as far as vehicles going over the pass, whether heading east or heading west, as as trucks potentially break down and they need to be uh, a record needs to be deployed immediately to get to that truck or vehicle to render it, uh, such equipment would be stationed at the North Bend uh, location with uh, a Bravo 181 or the 181 Battalion can deploy that asset or one of the FSCs deploy that asset to get to that vehicle, you know, potentially depend on the time of the year and weather hours quicker. Um, so I, I know you mentioned it on here a little bit earlier, sir, the regional, um, the regional plan that, that uh, we have in place or we're looking at going to, uh, can you kind of highlight that a little bit more? Um, I know, having spent time in both sides of the state and guard units, um, you got big po pockets of populations in places like Spokane, the Tri-Cities, Yakima, um, Wenatchee, and then you got a lot of smaller cities kind of spread around um, that have had National Guard armories in the past. Um, so the, that's kind of what I think when I think regional is we have a big location in these bigger cities and then smaller ones in these smaller cities, but maybe you can kind of highlight that more. Yeah, sure. So. Again, back to the, the 2012 strategic study that we did, uh, we felt, and National Guard Bureau was heading this direction back then as well, is having more of a regional anchor concept where you have a battalion headquarters uh, and potentially a, uh, a field maintenance shop or some type of a CSMS or a UTE, some type of maintenance facility co-located. So we could provide a higher level service than just the uh, level 10 maintenance service. So. What we're looking at uh, is to have field maintenance shops at those co-located regional anchor sites because our mates facility is at, at Yakima Training Center. That's not going to change. Uh, we have a new, relatively new CSMS that divested of the one that was here at Camp Murray. Uh, we built that on JBLM. I want to say that was 2013 that we completed that project. Uh, great facility. That's not going away anytime soon. Uh, we have a co-located Utes nearby it. We've put a lot of money into that facility. Uh, though it could use a replacement, it's it's in great shape and it's getting actually a new break room right now and expansion expansion break room and upgraded the offices and we've done a complete overhaul of all their lighting and everything else. So those three key maintenance shops outside of being an FMSs are not going to move. So with that, what would we, what would we want to have as a co-located facility maintenance to be a regional anchor? Well, that would be the field maintenance shops. So as you look at the strategic plan how you get there quicker what gets funded quicker national guard bureau's model is kind of in, in layman terms you know fix the worst first well if your facilities that you want to replace the worst ones first is a matter of replacing it versus upgrading it you look at facilities like the monoceno fms one of the worst shape or at least it was until we put some money into it recently it's not size right it's not functional it doesn't have all it doesn't meet the needs for striker compatible it doesn't have uh, bridge crane capability all these things it doesn't have with a new replacement at a different site you can you can address all those shortages and get a new you can do a new modern facility so we looked at that facility we looked at Tumwater being a replacement of Olympia the Redding Center replacement of Olympia and Puyallup was an opportunity to create 
with the 53 acre parcel that we ended up purchasing years ago in Tumwater to be a great regional anchors concept. So we were, we were adjusting our strategy to be in line with what NGV was funding and what Congress was funding to get facilities quicker and also meet our operational needs and put us put regional anchors on I-5 and I-90 corridors. Um, it would not make sense to have a regional anchor site in Okanagan. It just, you don't have the population density there. You don't have the community there. You don't have uh, the number of units there. Whereas on the I-5 corridor or I-90 or Yakima in 82, you have those that, that you have the, the density of population, you have the units, you have the operational needs. So we take a look at Take a look at that and a lot of other uh, contributing factors of where we want to be a regional anchor. And the regional anchor concept really is a battalion or brigade headquarters facility with a co-located FMS on at least 20 to 25 acres. You got to have at least 15 acres for a readiness center and at least five for a readiness center or correction, a field management shop. When you put those two together, that's 20 acres. Well, you're kind of congested there. So we try to go after 25 acres or or, or more. And to give everyone an idea, what does 25 acres look like? That's exactly what Seattle, downtown Seattle Interbay is. That's 25 acres. And you can quickly, if you've been there, you can quickly see how 25 acres gets chewed up real fast when you have a lot of military equipment. So we purchased 40 acres out in Richland. That's not necessarily going to be a regional anchor, but it has that ability to be that in, you know, 50 years down the road, if that, if that wants to become that. Uh, or it could become where you could have a youth academy east uh, and not just west at Bremenden, which was uh, some of the plans I pitched back in 2012 when we were looking to purchase that property. You could also have a field maintenance shop there uh, and a readiness center, which we're breaking ground on next month, all in one 40-acre parcel. Same thing with Tumwater. We've got 53 acres. Now, despite 53 acres, only about 17 and a half of it is actually buildable land, but you can still make it work uh, with that land. Whereas if you go to a site, uh, most of our field maintenance shops like Cedar Woolley, uh, you're lucky to be on two acres, just really congested. Uh, one could argue that Efreda is like a regional anchor because it has a readiness center and a field maintenance shop, but that's not a battalion headquarters facility. That's a company sized unit uh, with a co-located field maintenance shop. So it kind of meets the criteria being co-located readiness center and FMS, but not really a brigade or battalion level headquarters. And that regional anchor concept would then, if you can imagine it like this, the wheel of a tire or a, a bicycle, you know, that is the hub, the center uh, of your wheel. And then you have the spokes, if you will, that are 5, 10, 20 miles out, if you will, are your smaller company size readiness centers, your traditional size readiness centers like uh, like a Snohomish Armory uh, or a, a Wenatchee Armory or uh, a Puyallup, you know, a company size, troop size, battery size facility. Okay. So, with that in mind, how do you see the the projects of the future? Like, where what's next um, in that long term projection? And then also, short term, what will we be seeing opening up uh, within the next few years as new um, buildings or sites or just uh, res restored sites? Yeah, okay. So Sarah, I'll answer the first question first for the long-term and then I'll uh, address the short-term or near-term. So long-term, uh, like this summer, we're going to pitch our number one priority project is the Tumwater Field Maintenance Shop. And that's being, uh, compete, it's going to compete for fiscal year 2028. 
Last year was our number one priority for 2027. The year prior to that is our number one priority for 2021, uh, 2026. And, uh, and the reason it was not earlier is because the JFHQ Joint Forces Headquarters is already programmed for 2024. It was selected for fiscal year 2024. That'll be here at Camp Murray. Uh, we're looking at about 90,000 square feet. Uh, possibly if we can stretch the dollars up to 110,000 square feet. So anywhere from 10 to, to 30 maybe square thousand square feet and bigger than Pierce County Rent Center. Beyond that, after the Tumwater Field Maintenance Shop in 2028, the next priority is a readiness center at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, uh, co-located with the right next to the CSMS facility. Uh, we have some property there that we believe we can uh, nest in a company, potentially two size or two story uh, facility, probably for two units. Uh, a few years ago, we were looking at 81st Brigade headquarters. Um, that was something that uh, General Grennan was certainly wanting when he was a brigade commander. Uh, we've been looking at that. Um, current leadership has a different opinion on that, So, uh, but we've been flexible. But regardless whether it's a brigade headquarters or it's a company size unit with two companies, we're looking to have that be our number two priority project for Milcon uh, at Joint Base Lewis McCord. So that probably would be more like 2030. One, 2032. Working that same timeline or maybe earlier is that North Bend project, which would be a 100% state funded prog program project, not through Congress, not through National Guard Bureau. We'd still have to build to those requirements, uh, but we would not be funded by them. So that could accelerate that. So it's possible those are the next three big projects you see outside of Richland that's already programmed uh, to break ground here next month in the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Beyond that, uh, we're looking to purchase land uh, out in Ellensburg. Uh, I'm working with the Veterans Affairs Department there. Uh, I've also working with the Central Washington University uh, leadership uh, on some land that the ROTC program, correction, that the, uh, um, that the uh, university owns, but I'm partnering with the ROTC program as well as trying to do a, a joint partnership there to, to get uh, more legislative support to support that project as far as buying the land and that would then set us up for success to compete for a readiness center a company size readiness center uh, we also need to build a uh, aviation facility out in the east and on fairchild a uh, army aviation support facility number two uh, with a readiness center uh, the attributes of it readiness center blended into that so that's another project we wanted to uh, to compete for in the future and then way down the road, 30 years or more, you know, we need to start looking at some of the other facilities we need to replace uh, Snohomish Armory, working with Senator Hobbs and 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 local officials for his land uh, in Snohomish. Uh, also working with the mayor in Anacortes for land in Anacortes for Future Readiness Center um, and other facilities, uh, potentially like Walla Walla, you know, with this kind of landlocked, beautiful looking structures that just don't have the parking though. Those are the long term projects. Uh, more short-term projects, uh, we, we're going to look at uh, Snohomish Armory, as I mentioned earlier, got approved for funding in 2022, so we're going to do an addition to that uh, and an alteration. We're going to modernize that facility, uh, provide uh, updated offices. We've already given it private showers and upgraded all the restrooms. Um, we would replace uh, the lighting, replace uh, windows that need to be you know, double pane if they're not currently uh, replacing, upgrading the, the, all the administrative areas. Uh, the recruiter's office, adding platoon rooms that currently don't exist there, 
uh, long term of that site, uh, developing uh, overhead canopy storage or uh, not necessarily for strikers, but canopy coverage and vehicle vehicle military vehicle storage buildings. A lot of infrastructure. We have a basically a site plan for every single site. Snohomish would be one of those up and coming ones. Uh, we want to build a dining facility at uh, Yakima Training Center. That's the number one priority we're pitching this summer uh, for uh, the 205th at Yakima to be co-located with the barracks. Uh, we haven't talked about that yet, but that's another project that's about to complete the Yakima Training Center barracks. I forgot to mention that's another success story, huge success story of a project we we got. Um, it's just unfortunately been delayed for various reasons, and a lot of them we can't control. Congress uh, pushing the project off for a number of years, but um, we also want to get after a flyable storage for UH-60s for the the 96th Aviation Troop Command. Uh, we want to do an additional alteration to uh, Anacortes, very similar to Snohomish scope of work. Make private showers, indoor vault, potentially fitness room, upgrade the the administrative offices. For, to provide classrooms. We want to do the same at uh, Buckley. We want to do the same at Kent. Uh, we want to do the same at a lot of facilities. Uh, Anacortes, if I didn't mention that one already, uh, that we're trying to get upgraded. And then we also want to get flyable storage for the aviation facility for their uh, UH-60s. So after we take care of the, uh, the CH-47s, uh, getting them flyable storage, we eventually get flyable storage for the UH-60s. We also want to upgrade building 951 for the 205th, expand that. And then probably 30 plus years out, you know, if we can't get it funded sooner, is to build a new NCO Academy for the 205th out in Yakima. Um, we want to get some infrastructure going in Geiger Field. Uh, that's another long-term project, but, uh, you know, depending on, it could be a near-term project if we take uh, sustainment dollars and try to upgrade one of the facilities that we currently have there as opposed to building something new. And we want to do the same at Efreda. So we're trying to modernize all of our facilities, long-term and short. Some of the short-term projects you're going to see soon is that Snohomish Armory project. Uh, you're going to see a south gate here at Camp Murray. We're going to modernize that south gate. We're going to install a roundabout, make it safer. So that's not a hairpin turn uh, getting in or out. It'll be more of a, a safer uh, roundabout, if you will, to get through there. Uh, and people actually able to jog and run as on a trail as they do without being hit. Uh, some other projects we're looking to do is uh, building 33's restroom, uh, something that uh, we've already broken ground on and is working on in the next few months, is uh, modernizing the restrooms there. So we're providing uh, five uh, private showers for the females. They currently only have uh, two or three showers. Uh, the male's restroom doesn't have any private showers. We're going to install seven private showers there. Uh, eventually, we're going to, now that state HRO and finance has, or payroll have moved into building 20B, eventually we're going to convert that footprint that they were in into a uh, expanded fitness room, uh, obviously after COVID and whatnot. Uh, we've got 35 projects that we submitted uh, last year to NGB, uh, that were correction, two years ago that got approved and were awarded last year, federal fiscal year. So. We have a lot of small projects that we're addressing that $750,000 or less that you'll see over the next uh, year or two that are some have already broken ground and some that will break ground here next month. Um, HVAC systems at building one are gonna get a completely new heating, ventilation, air conditioning system at building one, building 20B, same project. A um, lot of lighting, energy, energy uh, conservation and energy resiliency type projects. And we're trying to get into renewable energy. Um, various projects throughout the state 
you know, everything from the museum, we're redoing a, a new flooring there, a lot of lighting projects. Is it, I could go on and on and on of all the projects we got going on short term. Well, I'll be excited when the South Gate opens because I definitely miss being able to run a longer than three mile loop. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, we've been wanting to get after this for a number of years. We actually had the project designed in 2018. Uh, one of my strategies is to design projects now so that's on the shelf ready to compete for funding later. So when NGB has additional funding and they reach out to states and say, hey, who's got a product that's ready to go that's sh shovel ready? Uh, a lot of states will try to claim they have a shovel ready project, but you truly aren't shovel ready unless you own the land and you have it designed complete. That's shovel ready. Uh, most states don't or most projects don't have that. It's hard to obtain that. Well, with the Southgate, we obtained that back in 2018. Design was completed and it's taken us a couple of years to get it to compete at the national level to get funded. It finally got funded and then we had to go through all the environmental process, archaeological, um, environmental conditioner of the property, you know, the NEPA, how's it going to impact when we do this project, et cetera. And we know it's a game changer for traffic flow for all the folks who live south on I-5. They can easily avoid the interchange and get right on to go through JVLM or, or get south quicker through the south gate. So we want to get after this and we're excited to uh, do this and we're in partnership with the Air Guard on this as well. Yeah, I live in DuPont, and when they closed that gate, I would get so sad on Friday when I realized I had to go on to I-5, actually, and I couldn't just cut through JBLM all the way to home. <laughs> yeah, part of the part of the challenge is we have to be in compliance with JBLM security, so right. the new DBID system coming out uh, helped us. Uh, we, we, we played that argument, if you will, with NGB that, look, we've got to be, we're no longer in compliance with national or with the uh, JBLM. We need the south gate open for our traffic ability uh, for our not only our military mission but our, our civilians uh, that work or technicians and federal employees that, that work on camp murray uh, we need this second second gate open and we in order to meet security guard or security requirements we need this new deed bid system so right. that in conjunction with uh, that with the security we were able to leverage this project and got it approved for funding and and because we already had it designed that certainly helped as well so we actually received end of year funding to fund a project because we did all the strategic things earlier the years prior. So I, I would tell you, going back to Joe's question earlier, you know, how does it work for getting these projects and how, how difficult or challenging is it? I would submit to you that when a project's actually underway, it appears that we're really busy with that project, but reality is that's easy. It's the next project we're trying to get that we haven't not get is we're spending all of our time and effort and calories trying to get the next project, trying to get the one after that and the one after that. That's the hard work, getting the land, getting through the environmental, getting all the engineering, getting through all the all the red tape that no one really sees. That is so much harder than the actual getting the shovel in the ground and building up. Um, that still too, is still difficult. Still a, lot, a lot of regulations, um, time, purpose and amount and use of the funds and all those fiscal law requirements. But that is even as complicated as that is, that is so much easier than trying to get the project awarded. I believe it. Well, sir, I don't think I have any more questions and I don't know if Joe does. I'll let him chime in. But if I, not, I'm no, going to open the floor for anything you want to make sure that you hit that we might have missed. No, I don't have any questions. Yeah, I mean, sir, the, the floor is yours. I, I appreciate the education on the on the CFMO. Anytime we get to talk, it's always uh, it's good to hear what's going on. Yeah, always exciting to hear about what's going to happen and all the new shiny things we're going to get. 
Well, you're welcome. That's great. Uh, and anytime you have any more, you know, curiosity of projects, you know, you know, please let me know, and I'll get you where we can. I will. I will tell you that we have a uh, very supportive staff here that is very focused on trying to support our customer, whether that's the military or state employees, you know, working for the military department, trying to to meet mission to support our soldiers uh, and their their either state or federal mission. So we have a lot of staff that's either prior military or still serving in the military, or they have a family member that was in the military, or maybe they don't have any of that. They just feel passionate to uh, support in some way their country and uh, working for the state. So we're, we're super focused on getting projects for our customers. Um, I, I just ask that our customers and the units out there continue to let us know of the issues of the buildings. That's how we, we leverage that information to get projects. And uh, we, it's difficult for us to come up with a lot of the data on our own. We can get there, we can do that, but we don't like that stovepipe, um, that that uh, uh, that method. It it can work, but it's not the best. The best way is to have uh, input from all all parties and uh, come up with the best strategic plan. So we just our building managers out there. We cannot thank them enough for all the work that they do. It's a a thankless job. It's a, an additional duty, but they're the ones that they're the on the ground, the eyes and ears for us as what's going on in that facility so that we can maintain it or turn that into a project and get some, you know, potentially multi-million dollars to, to upgrade that facility based on a various uh, number of issues in the building. So, um, and, and serving myself, very passionate about what we do and uh, uh, we love doing what we do, uh, probably too much, uh, too much passion to, to, to do this, but uh, uh, it takes that and that being us converted to Title V really helps us out with continuity, that's key. Uh, as opposed to a constant turnover. When we lose turnover, we have turnover, we lose expertise. And when we lose that expertise, we lose momentum. And when we lose momentum, we lose projects. So we don't want any of that to happen. And it's, uh, uh, it's key for us to keep our staffing consistent so we can deliver to our customer and build new buildings and replace the old antiquated ones. So hope that answers all your questions or. Yeah, it definitely answered all our questions. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, yeah, thanks, sir. Thanks, sir. Welcome, we appreciate girl. it.